Five Stair Steps and their classic Ooh Child on KRCL 90.9. Welcome to Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones, your host, plugging you into the community by talking to folks up to good trouble and pairing it with some music. Coming up, Kilo Zamora, a gender studies professor at the University of Utah. He'll be back with another collaborative conversation as he puts together a class for spring 2022 that will delve into gender and nature. He wants community input on this class. As we have these conversations on Radioactive, he also wants your feedback. So stick around to find out how to do that as Kilo and I talk with Ph.D. candidate Natalie Blanton. She grew up in Heber on a cattle ranch, was even a rodeo queen, and now she's an animal rights activist and a gender and nature scholar. It's an interesting journey, and I think you're going to like the conversation. First today, though, it's the start of something called Welcoming Week, an annual celebration bringing together people and local events that celebrate the contributions of immigrants and refugees and highlight the role that we play as a community in making sure everyone feels welcome. As a new group of Afghan refugees begins arriving in Utah, there's a variety of ways that you can get involved. To find out more, I spoke with the folks involved in this year's events, but also who do the work with the New Americans offices in Salt Lake City and County. Here's that conversation. Yeah, my name is Joseph Gainer. I am the New American and Refugee Liaison Office for New Americans. I mean, uh, what I do, I do work with um, New Americans. I try to connect them with resources, I mean, the community and work with different partners in order to ensure that um, the New Americans we have in the Solid County, they are connected to resources that they need and how to meet their needs as well. Hi, everyone. My name is Fatima. Dairy. I am the senior policy advisor for the Salt Lake City Mayor's Office, Mayor Aaron Mendenhall, and um, part of my role is to um, ensure that new Americans, refugees, they know how to access city resources, city services, um, understand how to um, connect with our law enforcement, our fire department, um, anything related to access and responsibility of becoming uh, part of the system. It's what I'm here to do. So thank you for the opportunity, Laura. Hello, my name is Willie Palomo. I work as a program manager for the Center for the Book at Utah Humanities, which basically means I get the pleasure of organizing our annual book festival, which is statewide, has over 100 events and is now hybrid. So it's in-person and virtual. And you can find our calendar at utahumanities.org or on our Facebook page or on Instagram at Utah um, Book Fest. You got some special events coming up for Welcoming Week, and we'll get to those. But let's start with what Welcoming Week is. And I was looking on the website that Salt Lake County runs, and there's a note there that you all are certified welcomers. What does that mean? What does that mean in terms of how you serve new Americans in the community? Joseph. So the Office for New American was established in 2016. It is there to improve the lives of Salt Lake County New Americans by, by maximizing their civic, social, and economic potential. In 2018, the Solid County became the first county in the nation to become certified welcoming by Welcoming America. Since the county became certified welcoming, the Office, of, the Office for New Americans have participated in Welcoming Week, except last year due to COVID-19. Welcoming Week Solid Lake is a week-long event during which we celebrate the contributions of immigrants and refugees and highlight the role communities play in ensuring everyone feels welcome. Through Welcoming Week, we build strong connections and affirm the importance of welcoming and inclusive spaces so that we can prosper collectively. Joseph, uh, what is your connection to New Americans personally? Can you share some of your story? Sure. I came here in 2007 from Sierra Leone as a refugee. I came here along with my son. By then, he was uh, five years old. We arrived here in March 2007, and his, his sixth birthday was in March too. Um, so I'm connected to New Americans in that I came here as a refugee, and this office is created for New Americans as well as immigrants. That is just one. I mean, New Americans is the umbrella for yeah. 
um, Office for New American Serves Refugees as well as immigrants. So I'm connected to it in that I came here as a refugee. Uh, I, my previous job, I used to uh, work for City of Sasol Lake. I mean, I was a site coordinator for the after school program. I worked at a refugee center, I mean, for two years. I was then transferred to Granite Park Junior High as a site coordinator in the after school program. When I look at, I mean, those, the participants that used to come to my program at the refugee center, as well as at Granite Park, I saw diversity among them. A uh, lot of people, I mean, students came from all over the world. I saw diversity, so I was there to be connections. I mean, so that um, I can connect to them and I can ensure that their needs are met as well as their families. Uh, I noticed that um, the, reason, the reason why, in fact, I took the job opportunity at Promise South Salt Lake on the, on the city of South Salt Lake. When I arrived here in 2007, my son did struggle in school. Just imagine, I mean, um, he used to speak my dialect, which is Mendy from Sierra Leone. Uh, when we got here, it was really very, very difficult for him to adjust, likewise myself to adjust, uh, to assimilate into the, I mean, the culture that I, I met. Um, I enrolled him in the after-school program. I used to pay monthly based on our income, our family income. So he was there for a while. Um, I noticed that I wanted him to be able to uh, learn how to speak English and to be able to socialize with others. Um, as a result, I ensured that he was there and he was even in ESA program when um, ESA is mostly for, I mean, uh, immigrants and refugees uh, whose, I mean, languages, uh, which, English language is a second, second language for them. It's difficult. So as a result, he was in that program for a while until he got to high school. And he was, I mean, I received a notification from the school that when he was in 10th grade that uh, he was no longer qualified to be in that program. As a result, I had passion to, to be able to connect with immigrants and refugees. I thought, oh, probably, I mean, based on what I've learned, I mean, for myself, in raising my child, uh, I should be able to extend this to other people. Yeah. As a result, I decided I should take up the opportunity to be able to work in the after-school program. And I had connections with a lot of immigrants and refugees in Salt Lake City within the Salt Lake County. So it was really a big opportunity, opportunity for me. I was able also to connect with uh, providers like ROC, CCS, um, um, the county, as well as um, the refugee center. I mean, I, I was able to do that. Your story, Joseph, demonstrates all the dots that need to be connected as someone new to our community from another country, whether it's immigration or refugee status. However, you arrive in Utah, trying to get the lay of the land is so hard, especially if you're struggling to speak English at the same time. And um, Welcoming Week highlights all the things that are available, but also, I think, raises the awareness with with uh, folks who have been here a while and uh, um, can help. And Fatima, Salt Lake City, your office does the same thing. We've talked about your backstory frequently on this show. What is it that you think the average listener out there um, needs to know most about Welcoming Week, about embracing new Americans in our community. Um, so thank you for the opportunity. Um, I always enjoy coming on and sharing remarkable stories of our immigrants and refugees that we have here um, of knowing the privilege of working with and just kind of having the opportunity. You don't need to travel abroad. You actually have opportunities here in Salt Lake City. Yeah. That's what we like to highlight. Um, I think it's important to um, champion the community leaders, the friends, the employers that welcome and embrace refugees. 
Um, it's very it's very important to amplify the work and the contributions that refugees and immigrants are making to this country. And so that's one thing we like to remind that not every immigrant or refugee distrusts the government. They don't have, um, they might have had that background coming before coming to the United States, but once they're here, we're creating opportunities where that distrust does not exist anymore, that they have opportunity to be equipped um, with information, um, whether it's about the vaccine with what we're dealing with with COVID-19, they have information about education, they have information about employment, there are resources available for them and my office exists because of that, um, because we wanna create those opportunities. Welcoming Week started today and runs through the 18th and so many things going on online and in real life. I'd love for the two of you to point some stuff out and then we have a special guest who's going to explain yeah. a, an event or two. So um, uh, Fatima, what would you like to share with folks about Welcoming so Week? So this year, um, as mentioned, Welcoming Week will be running through the 19th and the theme for this year is belonging begins with us. We all want to be um, in spaces where we feel welcome, where we feel included. Um, there is a welcoming event that's being kicked off um, with Belonging Starts With Us. That's on the 9th um, from 6, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern time, so which would mean 4 p.m. Utah time, Mountain Standard Time. Um, this is hosted by Iranian actors, comedian. Um, the live stream event will be featured of stories, messaging, and welcoming network of performers um, from various events. So we'll share this link with Laura for all of you guys. Um, there's also going to be poetry reading on the 10th, which I know Willie will go in depth to talk about because he um, graciously put this together. Um, and several other events like farmer's market, um, several farmer's market that are being hosted. Um, Emerald Project is hosting um, with the Utah Council for Citizenship Diplomacy. Um, they're doing the other side of 911, a reflection of um, the background of Muslims and the attitudes towards the United States um, that has been that has shaped the emotions and self identity of existing unborn U.S. Um, Muslims. And so on September 11th, as indicated, we'll we'll have all these links and details shared with all of you guys. Um, September 13th, English uh, scone and tea time cooking class with Chef uh, Mika. And then on September 14th is Fire with Plan B Theater um, will be permitting um, at 6 p.m. This is also a virtual event. Um, again, we'll talk more details. Another important one that we like all of you, everyone to come in and uh, walk with us for a welcome walk on September 15th at Liberty Park. Um, this will happen between 6 to 8 p.m. So anybody is welcome to register. The link will be shared again. Um, uh, this is titled the At Home Humanitarian um, Organization. But anyway, the list of events will go on and on. So I don't want to like... <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of stuff. On. Joseph A is there something. Uh, yeah. yeah. What would you like to highlight? Uh, so... Uh, probably uh, Fatima skip one, which is going to be on Friday. Friday, the mayors we have in the county, I mean, the solid county mayor, I mean, Mayor Jenny Wilson, and some city mayors will be signing a welcoming week proclamation. It's going to take place at 2 p.m. at the Taylorsville City Hall, which is 2600 Taylorsville, and it's going to be at Salt Lake City, Utah, 84126. The address will be provided on our website as well. So don't forget that we are inviting each and everyone to be there for and the proclamation. Yeah. Okay. And there's, um, a, there's a bunch of stuff with Spice Kitchen from yeah. the IRC and SLC and uh, voter registration. registration. There's, there's tons of stuff. So we'll be sure to put the links in the show notes. Um, there's also the Mobility Project with Danny Quintana on the 18th. And on the, uh, also on the 18th, virtual, the Emerald Project is presenting Home is Not a Country. And that's delving into poetry. So I think we need to go to Willie Palomo now okay. from <laughs> the Book Festival with Utah Humanities and get into some of the programming that you are participating in for Welcoming Week. Willie, what you got? 
Yeah, I've had the pleasure to arrange quite a few programs for this welcoming week, and we're so excited to feature them in the Utah Humanities Book Festival. Um, you just mentioned on September 18th at 6 p.m., we have um, acclaimed poet Safia Elhilo, who will be in conversation with Nora from the Emerald Project. And that um, event will also be a part of the National Book Festival, so we'll have quite a bit of people um, coming in, so make sure to register. Um, another one of my favorites is going to be happening September 15th, and there's actually two of them. Um, one is the Stories of Maze, which is happening in Park City. We have Dr. Roberto Simpli Rodriguez, who is this um, very... Um, a very studied scholar who has traced the history of corn throughout the Americas and shown the connections between Latinx and Native American communities. Um, that's going to be a blast. He's going to be in conversation with one of Utah's favorite Mexican-American artists, Jorge Rojas. Jorge. And we have a surprise little <laughs> performance of a oral history story from the book um, that will be performed by two youth from the Egyptian Youth Theater Program. So we're super excited about that. But if you happen to be in Springville, um, there is going to be an amazing reading of Where, you, Where Are You From, which is going to feature one of my favorite people, Jean Takuda Irwin. Um, and Where Are You From is this great children's book um, that ants helps children answer that question. You know, a lot of POC get the question of like, oh, where are you from? Yeah. Um, and this book helps answer that. Um, if you're feeling hungry on September 16th, we have um, This is the Plate, which is this cookbook, um, but it includes a bunch of recipes from our refugee and immigrant communities. And we got my superstar, Jean Takuda Irwin, um, showing folks how to make sushi rice um, and talking about the legacy of Japanese Americans in Utah. Um, so there's really a whole bunch of events um, and that are available for welcoming week. If one doesn't um, catch your ear, make sure to check out the website and I'm sure you'll find something that is definitely up your alley. Um, September 17th, for example, on Zoom, we have Chinese women in the environment with local professor Shumei Pu um, bringing in a whole bunch of authors that she's worked with on this incredible anthology um, where a lot of Chinese women um, talk about just their relationships with the environment. And this weaves in people who are going to be able to Zoom in from internationally. Um, so there's a lot of events that just help highlight um, the wonderful culture and contributions that our refugees in immigrants and new Americans bring to Utah. So lots of fun things to do, but at the heart of this is the folks that uh, are, you know, it's, it's difficult to be new in any community and layer onto that, whatever your pioneer story, Fatima, we've done those in the past. We've turned pioneer day on its head and talked about modern day pioneers who trek to Utah and what their backstories are. And I think it's important to honor those. And so I'm really excited that there's such a strong week of programming considering COVID pretty much wiped this out last year, Fatima. Yes, um, it's uh, quite humbling for all of these organizations, state, county, city, um, uh, education institution, all of us to come together and collaborate on celebrating this annual um, welcoming week event every year, though we didn't have the pleasure or opportunity last year to come together, but we um, have that opportunity to educate and, you know, and become friends and sort of, we all know what it feels like to not feel like you belong in a space, in an environment. And so to be able to reflect on that and to actually hear stories and share stories is really, um, it's the humane thing to do, right? Yeah. In, in the society, especially with what's going on. So, Can you tell me about your office and the work that you are doing or gearing up to do in regards to what we know are Afghan refugees who will be resettling in Utah, Fatima? And then we'll ask Joseph the same question. Yes, we've had the privilege of participating in a, a gathering that was put together by the Utah Muslim Civic League and the World Trade Center. Um, it was an urgent call to meet with members of the Afghan um, community that have been resettled here in the state of Utah to really um, have an opportunity to tell us like what it is that their families are dealing with, what, you know, some of their family members are stuck, they're unable to return. Um, so what can we, how can we make sure that the Lee's office, uh, Senator uh, Romney's office, all of these organizations are coming together to organize 
action steps that will help these communities and their families reunite. And so we're working with our resettlement agency. Those are the Catholic Community Services of Utah and the International Rescue Committee, State Refugee Services Office, just community collaboration on this effort on getting organized and figuring out if it's donation, if it's uh, setting up apartments, if it's welcoming refugees at the airport and making sure that these Afghan refugees feel like they're, they're being received and they there's resources ready and in hand for them. That's what we're all trying to figure out as partners and stakeholders. Um, it's this type of events, it's unfortunate that it's occurring, but it will bring us together as a community. Joseph, same question to you, and maybe also offer our listeners ways they can help or get involved, because you know, Utahns, we're always up to volunteer, to donate, to help out, to bring food. Um, uh, sometimes I think that impulse is ahead of what the actual need expressed by folks in the moment is. So um, help us understand how we can help and when it's the right time to help, Joseph. So um, it, I believe last week we had a meeting with CCS as well as ROC. These are, I mean, these two organizations are the resettlement agencies for Utah. We are able to um, have a meeting with them in that uh, they put forward their needs. Essentially, what they mentioned in that meeting, they will be, I mean, because some of the refugees that are going to be resettled here, some of them, the resettlement agencies will be just responsible for them for like, I mean, uh, 90 days. As a result, they might not have funding after us, but I mean, to be able to, uh, to serve them beyond 90 days. So they were asking whether, I mean, uh, we should be, I mean, the Office of New American under Mayor uh, Jenny Wilson will be able to provide financial support or to reach out to her contacts uh, in order to support those two offices financially. Besides, uh, the county, they reach out to the county whether uh, the county will be in position to uh, have them use their spaces. It could be the rec center or any center where they can, I mean, uh, their clients will be able to meet with their caseworker. That came up as well. Uh, housing was another one that came up, but uh, I had another meeting with Asha, who is um, the director for Refugee Services Office. Asha Parak, yes. Yeah. She mentioned to, I mean, I in that meeting, I put forward to her our discussion and uh, what the, the needs of the two offices were. But she told, I mean, she told me that uh, for now, we have to put hold on those in that we should avoid duplicating efforts. Yes. As a result, we'll be having a meeting, I believe tomorrow, all services, I mean, providers, county representatives, as well as the governor. In that meeting, I mean, they have different committees set up uh, mm -hmm. in order to discuss the means of uh, the two offices and what we should do uh, as partners, I mean, in meeting those needs. Great. Well, of course, our mics are available to you when you would like to get the word out for needs and how folks can fill those. Um, having done some emergency planning myself, there's the initial emergency. And then the second one is all the stuff people want to send. <laughs> there's no place to send it yet. So uh, check tonight's show notes, folks. We'll put links to Welcoming Week and the organizations that have been mentioned here that uh, work with new Americans, immigrants, and refugees in our community. And that's uh, another thing to watch. And uh, before we wrap, any last thoughts? Fatima, I saw you raise a hand here in our yes. Zoom session. Um, I was, yeah, I was just going to mention um, Friday, if you guys, if uh, those who are interested in uh, seeing some of our immigrant community partners, stakeholders that have, uh, like Willie, um, we all will be present at the Welcoming Week press conference. And also Natalie Aldiri, who's the executive director of IRC, will talk and answer questions about the Afghan uh, refugee crisis and what's happening um, on their end and their efforts. And so that's an opportunity that you don't want to miss as well. We'll put that in the show notes. Joseph, any closing comments you'd like to make? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we didn't share, share is about citizenship workshops. We'll be having uh, the 17th of September is Citizenship Day. As a result, uh, we would like our audience, I mean, immigrants and refugees who are interested in becoming 
citizens, naturalized citizens of US uh, to be able to attend uh, the information session that IRC and Communities United, uh, our partners will be presenting. So I would just like to remind our listeners that um, those two opportunities are there. I mean, the virtual event, I mean, uh, just check on our website so that you'll be able to know exactly what time those meetings are scheduled in order to attend to ask questions regarding um, natural, I mean, regarding how to become a U.S. citizen, naturalized U.S. citizen. I think that's what I have. Besides, I would like to thank you, I mean, for hosting, for giving us the opportunity to be able to express ourselves and share with the audience what we do in, I mean, in, in various offices that we have in the county as well as in the city. Willie Palomo. Follow us on Instagram at Utah Book Fest or follow us on Facebook or Twitter and you'll be able to keep up with all the events. We'll be going strong through the end of October and have plenty of different lineups. If you're particularly interested in events for children, we have a lineup for children and teams. If you're particularly interested in those historically marginalized voices, we have a whole lineup for that that you can find on the utahhumanities.org. Willie Palomo of Utah Humanities Book Festival, Joseph Genda, Salt Lake County Office of New Americans, and from the Salt Lake City Mayor's Office, Fatima Deary, all talking about Welcoming Week. Check tonight's show notes for a link to all the events that we talked about, and I really hope you can find some time to check out some of them. Extend a welcoming hand to new Americans and new Utahns, especially during Welcoming Week. I'm Laura Jones, and stick around. Coming up at 7, Democracy Now! And then you're going to get DJ Mike with Thursday Night Psych at 8, The Dirty Boulevard with Gianni at 10.30, and then you got Rich Parks. I don't sound like nobody at 1. Illustrated Blues with Jolene at 3. John Florence bringing your brand new day at 6 a.m. This next conversation is part of the radioactive collaboration with University of Utah gender studies professor Kilo Zamora. He's creating a new class for spring that will deconstruct gender and nature. So he asked to come on the show and brainstorm some ideas with some folks and get your feedback. Stick around to get his email address, which I'll also post in tonight's show notes. But earlier this week, Kilo and I spoke with environmental sociologist Natalie Blanton to get her insights on gender and nature. And it's also wrapped up in her own story, from rodeo queen to animal activist. Here's that conversation. Hi, Kilo. Time for round two of kind of crowdsourcing this class where you want to deconstruct and reconstruct gender and sexuality at the University of Utah. Yeah, welcome. I'm glad to be here with one of my favorite colleagues, Natalie Blanton, um, to explore this idea of how do we get our community involved in developing uh, curriculum and taking this wild notion of imagining, reimagining gender in nature for our class this spring. And what can nature tell us about the ways our identities work and don't work and help us evolve in ways that we've never imagined before. Uh, so bringing great creative thinkers together like Natalie on air to explore that with us. And as always getting the great KRCL listeners to participate as much as they'd like to in contributing to the overall syllabus. So before we dive in with Natalie tonight as a, a conversation that can be fodder for how to construct this class, remind folks how they can email you or what your email is to give you their thoughts uh, as you put together this class. Yeah, it's Kilo, K-I-L-O dot Zamora, Z-A-M-O-R-A at utah.edu. Email me any thoughts, any ideas, even questions you're having about gender, and I'll be happy to reply back to you. And um, getting your contributions will also be, if you'd like us to, we'd love to give you credit for that and add your name to the syllabus as one of our contributors. All right. So you sent me something that I just want to reiterate for folks listening. All questions as we put this, this crowdsource class together should come back to this. We're exploring how nature can offer creative ways to deconstruct and reconstruct our gender and sexuality. And although gender is the stepping off point, the class we're trying to create folks aspires to decolonize ourselves, reshape and affirm multiple identities and celebrate the relationship of humanity's return to nature. So with that in mind, let's dive into what Natalie brings to the table. Would you like to introduce her with a, a sketch or should we ask Natalie to do that herself, Kilo? 
I'll do a little bit, but Natalie has a lot to say. I wanted to just start by saying that um, Natalie and I participated in the first class at the University of Utah that was called the Queer Activism Think Tank. And it was a year long class. Um, and although Natalie was a student in the class and I was one of the teachers along Kim Hackford Pier, uh, Natalie quickly became one of the teachers. And together we spent a year wondering about what activism looked like. And throughout that time, Natalie and I became great friends. And I've watched her as she has shown me the ways that she does excellent um, animal advocacy work as an act animal activist. And then as she began to work on her scholarship, both in her master's and PhD program, and when we see each other, we find ways to be creative around gender, nature, and all things social justice. And that's how I, I know this beautiful human. Natalie, your field of study is environmental sociology. So let's get going as you uh, introduce us to your origin story, how you would approach the topic of gender and nature as an environmental sociologist, maybe a definition of terms for, for those of us like myself who are not quite familiar with what an environmental sociologist is or does. Sure. So uh, environmental sociology is um, increasingly a really important element of, of what we do as sociologists, right? I think a lot of times we think of society existing on this very separate plane uh, and we're just kind of dancing on the stage of, of the earth or the, the environment. And the idea is that that's not the case, that we are actually very inextricably connected uh, with the environment and with one another. Um, and hopefully getting people to kind of move out of this headset that, you know, it's nature versus culture or society versus nature um, and kind of blurring those lines and making sure that we realize that we do need to think about the environment as an actor uh, in what we're doing on this planet. Um, so yeah, I try to get to my students to really think about what is the environment both built and natural and how we move through these spaces, how we access these spaces, uh, what our different elements of identity uh, allow us or bar us access to these spaces um, and how we understand them. Um, yeah, if that kind of makes sense. Natalie, you know, I think the audience would love to hear a little bit about how you got here. <laughs> how did you get to this topic? Because I'm thinking back to some of your story of growing up with a family of ranchers and yeah. like where, where this has led, like how it's led you along this way towards um, animal activism um, to then beginning accessing the humanities connecting it to gender, this, this whole like long stretch, uh, I think the audience would just love to understand who are you, where did this come from and where is this drive really coming from? Sure, so I was raised um, in Heber City, Utah, which when I was a kid was really different. Uh, and I was raised around cattle ranching. I was a rodeo queen, um, talk about gender. Um, and I was raised around this idea that, you know, animals were ours to consume, to move around, to eat, exploit, um, do all these different things with and be in control of. And I started to really question those things um, as I started to see how this, this system of using animals uh, was harming the environment, how I felt it was harming the community I was part of. Um, and I started just kind of asking these questions of, of why, you know, why we as humans forget that we too are mammals and why we think that we are um, the top of the food chain. And so, yeah, I started asking those questions and got involved in um, kind of environmental studies courses at the same time as gender studies courses. Um, and it kind of set my brain on fire just thinking about how we really are just beings on this planet. And I wish we took more time to consider animals and non-human beings uh, beyond human realm, if you will, um, as, as real actors and as real important pieces of this planet. I just love the rodeo queen backstory. I grew up going to the <laughs> Twin Falls County Fair and Rodeo every Labor Day as a kid, whether I liked or wanted to or not. And now I really miss it. But yeah, you know, those, those things are always kind of 
you know, in the background at a place, at a rodeo, right? How we treat animals, where we think we are in the hierarchy. One of the questions, Kilo, that you pose is um, for our guests is how you would approach the topic of gender and nature. And I'm kind of curious, this struck me in between our last conversation, Kilo, was we always refer to nature as mother nature. Yes, that's huge. And I think a lot of the language we use around Earth is rooted in, in very feminized language, right? We think about fertile ground. We think about mother nature. When we talk about exploitive or extractive industries, uh, we talk about the rape of the land, right? And all these things that kind of bring up these questions of, of is Earth this feminine being? And is that why we feel that we can exploit and extract and consume her in this way? Um, and I think that that's, that's huge. I think that I have a lot of questions around why it is that we historically think of the environmental movement being a feminized movement or one that uh, women uphold or uh, different marginalized gender identities uphold more than, um, for example, like a white straight man. Um, and I, I mean, I have that question for you too, as to why do we, why do we think that is? Why do we think that men um, might not be taught to value the environment in this way? It's that whole binary of gender roles, right? Yeah. It's so tough because, I mean, I want to honor that we live in Utah too, right? And that like the, some of our listeners are probably hunters and gatherers and harvesters and love rodeos and eat meat and are vegetarians and like that whole gamut is happening. And yet, um, wondering like what is it the messages that were taught back to your question now like what are the messages that were taught that give us a, a specific perspective of our planet and when words that are feminized are taught to us how does that teach us how to engage or disengage with our planet and for men what are the ways in which their own identity of a, defining themselves as men help them relate or not relate to uh, the planet and all the other animals here. These are the exact kind of questions I wanna get at in this class. I want, if people are hunters and they take the course, I'm okay if they leave as hunters, I'm not trying to change them. What I'm really curious about is how can they access new language that might give them a brand new outlook on who they are and how they do it and what they think about when they are consuming potentially some kind of protein, like a meat protein, um, and become more critical, become more closely connected. And again, that big question there, like where, how does gender play into us defining our place in, in space and time and being on this kind of blue planet called earth? Um, and Natalie, where do you take it? Like when you think about students in a classroom struggling with their identity and nature, what comes to mind for you about things they could struggle with, things that would help them become more critical, uh, things that they, they would need to peel back in themselves in order to really become more creative and more um, tapped into new ways of thinking? Yeah, I think there's a huge um, kind of reckoning happening with the environmental movement, because I think people are realizing that it's it's not just like this cutesy thing. This is our reality. Climate crisis is happening now. Um, and to not let yourself feel that gamut of emotions, I have a lot of empathy for people who, who aren't allowing themselves that. And I do think that comes down um, to, unfortunately, how we socialize men in this culture. Um, and I, I wish that people would allow themselves to think about what does the environment mean to me? What was my first interaction with the environment? Was it me feeling like I was in control or did I feel really small and scared? Did I feel connected to it in these other ways? Um, and I think there was in the seventies, right? There was this huge movement of, of eco-feminism, right? And it was kind of deemed that the environment was uh, and, and to not be bioessentialist, but to, to think that women are these nurturing beings who are able to care outside of themselves. Um, and I, I really struggle with that because I, I think that we can do a lot more with that and, and teach from a young age that environmental values has nothing to do with gender and everyone should just maybe think about ex extending care beyond themselves, extending care beyond the human race, um, et cetera, I guess, if that makes sense. 
another phrase I was just thinking of, uh, animal husbandry. Mm. So a lot of uh, how we interact with nature and with animals is very ba- is based very much on outdated gender stereotypes to no small degree. So I was thinking maybe you could share a story, Natalie, about where the light came on for you from rodeo queen to environmental sociology. I'm guessing there are quite a few light bulb moments. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I had this one moment that, that really changed the course of, of what I was doing. Um, and I love Kilo that you brought up you know, I've gone through the iterations of being, you know, really angry at my past, being really angry at people that um, are are rural or are in the animal husbandry or animal agriculture sector. And I realized that that is not at all how we should approach this. Um, And I really appreciate my background in that realm to give me this insight because, yeah, I I remember specifically this time um, we were doing, we we were, getting the cows out of the hills to go for processing. Um, and I remember this one cow was not, was not cooperating. Um, and a couple of my friends, um, men in her family, her dad and her uncles, uh, were trying to get this cow to get onto the truck and she would not have it. And I was only like 16 when this was happening. Um, and I was on my horse kind of stuck just watching this human beast interaction this this battle happening and all of a sudden amanda's pulled out his gun and shot the cow in the face and this is not the normal practice or it shouldn't be i hope uh but it definitely rattled me awake and i remember just like slumping off of my horse and kind of looking at her and looking at this like just crumpled up cow and just being like what is happening? (laughs) Why is this the norm? Why do we feel like we get to choose life or death for these creatures? I'm really confused. I know there's another way. Um, And I love that you bring up this term animal husbandry, because that is also such an idealized fallacy in our current system, right? Now it's industrial animal agriculture. Now it's mainly factory farms. 90% of animals are raised in factory farms. We don't have that old McDonald's romanticized relationship with with the animals anymore because it's just too many numbers and it's just too much of an exploitive system to actually get to connect with the animals in that way so um you know what i even saw is is now a relic and is now kind of an archaic practice and a dying practice which you know brings up a whole other slew of issues um but yeah the the light really clicked on because i remember taking my horse home that night and just like loving on her giving her grain you know, combing her, giving her all of this like pleasure and care. And then I, you know, couldn't stop thinking about this cow that had just met her demise in this way that was just not okay with, by me. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Natalie, that story, you know, I don't want to get away from it because that the story of seeing what happened to the cow and how it rattled you and imagining that it wasn't just about the cow. There were all these relationships that you were having in that moment. Your relationship with being outdoors, your relationship with your horse, the relationship with all the kin that were around you. And so all of a sudden everything's ushering in <laughs> to this time of rattle, being rattled and wondering why is it okay with some and it's not okay with others. And so it caused something inside of you, like something changed. Like it really not just rattled you, but like, there was a this something morphed. And, it, and it's interesting to me also to see that the first response you had was to take care of your horse. Like, what are all these things I can do for my horse at this very moment as you begin to process through this? And this, I mean, this is one of those stories in your life that led you become an animal activist. And I, I am thinking about just like how each of us have these moments. And I'm, and I'm wondering in a classroom, and don't let me get, let me get back to the word husbandry at some point, because there is a connection later on that I think the audience wants to hear about. Um, I want you to imagine you're in the classroom. And, and Natalie, when you and I talk, you always have these creative thoughts about where students can go. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about the classroom, I'm thinking about you and what you would design in a classroom where students can have I don't want them to have a necessarily a rattling moment where they 
feel harm, but I do want them to have some cognitive dissonance. I want them to question their own actions and behaviors. And if you could set the environment for students to do that in a way that seemed productive, what comes to mind for you? What, what would a young Natalie need that would allow them to go in and explore in ways that they hadn't explored before? Um, and I would really love to hear those from you so we can design a classroom that um, is, is just new and fresh and away from the bourgeois of like intellectualism. Yeah. Yeah, I think so much of what I, after teaching for a couple of years and yeah, Kilo met me as an undergrad. So it's been a, a journey uh, to start teaching my own college classes. And I've really realized that it's, it's just an exercise in, in empathy and in, in trying to understand where other people are coming from. And, you know, if I could take a field trip and transplant my students uh, into a cattle ranching operation, uh, maybe one that is kind of this, you know, smaller family um, farm to table, if you will, animal husbandry operation, and then a foil and take them into some more, something that Utah has a lot of, which is industrial animal agriculture settings and seeing um, just these, inex like there's so many ties going on uh, between these, like the people that work within those settings are most often the most marginalized and the most unprotected people. Um, so thinking about all of these issues of immigration and citizenship and protection and labor and how that interacts on the human front where, you know, on the site of, of violence where we're taking lives of animals. And oftentimes it's a really violent process for the, the humans working there as well. And then trying to connect them to the actual environmental impact and seeing just what these slaughterhouses put out um, so seeing that it's not just animals affected, but it's all of us affected by these industries continuing on um, and, and trying to get people to just think outside of what's on their plate or what's, you know, their day-to-day -day interaction. Um, it's hard. It's really hard. But I do think like the grit and the dirt and the getting into it um, is a huge part of it. I, I kind of want to cycle back to to how nature can bring us in touch with ourselves, but at the same time we separate ourselves from the animal kingdom. And maybe that's where we could go next with this Kilo and Natalie. We don't think of ourselves as part of the animal kingdom because we think we have feelings, we, we love, et cetera. So we're a step apart, a step removed. Mm -hmm. um, so as you uh, go about your work, uh, does that come into the conversation? How could coming back to nature and our natural selves help us maybe break that down, that remove that we've welcomed as our food has become industrialized? So I like to think about this idea um, of, of being non-binary, right? And I think a lot of people are frustrated when they hear it or they don't understand pronouns or they get caught up in an in individualized non-binary experience of being between gender. Um, but what I like to remind people is that thinking in this non-binary way or this pluralistic or duality type of way of expanding, you know, not just human versus nature or nature versus society um, and expanding into that gray area, uh, thinking that we are all very much connected and that there, there's no way for us to really be uh, sustainably how we've been for a long time, right? This idea that we are, you know, the pinnacle or the top of the, um, food chain is, is really rooted in white supremacy and rooted in um, capitalist expansion and exploitation, ex, uh, exploitive practices. But I think reminding people that to move outside of, you know, these little boxes we keep ourselves in the city, um, even if you cannot access the natural world. Um, and what does that mean? You know, and if you just find these like minute moments of the natural world, be it, you know, my favorite thing is seeing a weed coming out of the sidewalk out of the cement. And I'm like, God, nature's so resilient and so cool. Uh, and just reminding ourselves that we're, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. And this is all so built up around us. And that maybe there's, you know, some beauty in, in trying to bring nature back in and how healing that might be. Um, yeah, that kind of thing. I love that. I mean, you're, you're dropping a lot of kernels of knowledge. I'm thinking about when we when humans started to identify plants as weeds, 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's not always the case. Um, we're talking, it, it came into being when the word crops came into being. And so once you had a crop, you had a weed. And so that there's an enormous disconnect between what is all these, all the plant diversity around us and, and wondering and how we remove ourselves. So you're right about how capitalism has played a role in this. And just for a brief moment, I want to bring us back to that word husbandry. And really that word is, when, when, when its origin word is really about sexism. It's really about um, a patriarchal male looking over all of his animals, including his wife. And so a husband, the word husband comes from husbandry about the male looking over um, all the animals. And I'm thinking about these moments in time in which patriarchy continues to prevail. And it's times in which men also find them separated from themselves from, from women. And they participate not only in a binary, but a binary of, of hierarchy. So as we move away from a hierarchy and as people like myself begin to not see myself just as a male, but also deeply influenced by the, the women and females around me, my gender queerness begins to come out. And the, the more I can move away from a, a mindset of sexism. And I believe Natalie, there's something to be said about that and um, our ability to make this dichotomy between ourselves and nature, that there is this, the more I see myself as part of nature, the more challenging it is to harm it. And maybe in some parting words, you could think about that in terms of right now we're experiencing a very deep drought and we're gonna be experiencing it for a long, long time because of climate change. How does this drought make you feel more human and more animal? And what can the lesson be about how we walk on the planet a little more gently? A long time ago, a lot of theorists or theologians will talk about how pigs and cows can't look up to the sky. Their skeletal structure doesn't allow them to look up. And so they talked about how this was why they were deemed lowly beings or beings that we could you know, use and consume and do whatever we do with them. Um, and I, <laughs> I learned that and I was like, hold on, they're always centering the earth. They're always looking at the earth. Maybe it's because that's what they're, they're eating and they're consuming. But I like this idea of kind of not thinking of it as lowly, but like looking down to the earth, really planting down um, and reminding ourselves that centering the earth and where we're at and not some like, you know, billionaires space travel, not some new technology that's going to make us feel more connected than ever. No, <laughs> no, the earth is all we got. And I think really trying to center that and remind ourselves to walk gently and softly and, and eliminate as much suffering as possible um, is a massive choice that so many more people can, if you can choose, I hope that you do choose to walk a little softer on this planet. Natalie Blanton and Kilo Zamora. Check tonight's show notes for an email link to Professor Zamora. He wants the community to help him structure this class on gender and nature that will be offered in the spring at the University of Utah. I'm Laura Jones, and thanks for plugging into your community with me tonight on Radioactive. You can check out the show archives online at krcl.org and send us your feedback. I'm going to leave you tonight with this from Eels, who'll be in town in May next year. Are we all right again on KRCL 90.9?